Boker Tov, everyone. Shalom Aleichem. Rol Shodesh Tov. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. Glad that you're with me this morning. Hope everybody is doing well, Baruch Hashem, and being blessed, being highly favored. Welcome to the uh, fifth Aliyah of our Parasha Noach here as we're exploring more and more of the Parasha of Noach. Hallelujah. Today we're going to be looking at the, the sign of the covenant, the covenantal sign of the rainbow, and looking more in depth at that and what the rainbow represents, why Hashem should give us a rainbow. Probably once we get into this, we're going to learn why the rainbow has been so abused and so misused and turned into a, a symbol of debauchery by certain groups and uh, why it was the Satan's will to uh, malign this uh, precious uh, symbol. We're going to learn, you'll, it'll, it'll become clear, I would imagine, why that's the case as we look at the uh, rainbow. The fifth Aliyah of Parashah Noach is from the Genesis chapter 9 and verse 8 through chapter 9 and verse 17, a very, relative. <clears throat> pardon me, a relatively short read <clears throat> of, um, of uh, Torah, but a, uh, a packed full of, uh, you know, insights and information. So I want to also say that today, of course, is Rosh Hodesh. Uh, today is Rosh Hodesh Cheshvan, uh, and uh, therefore is a kind of a semi-holiday, semi-holiday of, of sorts. Uh, Rosh Chodesh. It's actually the first Rosh Chodesh of the year. If you uh, now the Rosh Chodesh, we all know that uh, Rosh Hashanah is a Rosh Chodesh. But interestingly, even though Rosh Hashanah occurs on the Rosh Chodesh, we don't acknowledge, if you will, the Rosh Chodesh with respect to it being Rosh Chodesh. We 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 acknowledge it being Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year which is a holiday, of course, a big holiday, important holiday, Day of Judgment. But the first time that we actually have the Rosh Chodesh, where we actually say today is Rosh Chodesh, is actually in Heshvan. So the, the semi-holiday, as it were, of Rosh Chodesh is associated really with the month of Heshvan. And then, of course, this coming uh, Sabbath night, as we say in Hebrew, the night of... Shabbat night, so so after Hal, after Havdalah, uh, the night of, of Shabbat is called Motzei Shabbos. That's how we say Motzei Shabbos. As we talk, when we when you hear Motzei Shabbos, um, then that is going to be uh, Saturday night or Shabbat night. So anyway, uh, Motzei Shabbos. This coming Motzei Shabbos, we should have the Kiddush Levana, the sanctification. Um, of the moon, and so uh, that's uh, a very uh, important <coughs> uh, topic. I, I had hoped that I would get, be able to sit down and, and have a um, a discussion about Heshvan yesterday, but uh, sometimes my days get get away from me, and I haven't to be able to do that. But I, God willing, will be able to do that uh, today. Bezrat Hashem. So let's look at our insight, shall we? Before we get into the sign of the um, 
into the, the rainbow, I want to revisit something, or not revisit, but look at something that is a very common, um, a very common question, because uh, as we get into the discussion of Kashrut, there are people who throw up an objection to it. Some people have a question about it with respect to Noah. And because they'll go, they'll they'll look at the parasha and Noah, and they say, "Well, but God told Noah he could anything he wanted." Um, and for some people, it's a question. For some people, it's a, "Hey, why would God say that?" And then later, tell us that we we could only eat certain things. For most people, it's an objection. For most people, they're trying to find a way out of eating kosher. They're trying to find a, a loophole. They're trying to find an exit plan, an exit strategy, an exit ramp off of the freeway. Let me adjust this a little bit. Hopefully this doesn't mess too, thing, too many things up. There we go. <coughs> uh, sorry, part, pardon me for that. Anyway, um, they're trying to find a way out of God's law. And that's, that's nine times out of ten when people have questions. They are really, and, and this is just true it, it's true it, they're they're really just objections disguised <laughs> as a question uh so that we could make the the person we're questioning think that we care about truth <laughs> and so, and and more more times than not we're trying to deceive ourselves that we care about truth when in reality we're just trying to get out of following god's will you know what, and as I say that, it, it's just a reminder that <clears throat> we have to be honest with ourselves. Now, not to get off on a rabbit trail here, but as Rabbi Tversky, who is a wonderful rabbi of blessed memory, but as the Rebetzin mentioned yesterday, was also a psychiatrist, a very prominent psychiatrist, and uh, practiced psychiatry for 40 years. So, uh, I, this is one of the reasons why I appreciate so much, you know, his, his writings and, and uh, teachings because he, 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 he dwell, dwells into human psychology, naturally, and human thought. We, and he, he discusses, uh, in one of his books that I have, he discusses several different psychological issues to quote our English Lepidniks, that we humans deal with. Subconscious, pre-conscious, conscious, denial, projection, you know, etc. Um, and um, one of the things that we do, we, we, what he talks about is, is that we have a very, very, very strong ability to deceive even ourselves. Now, why am I mentioning this? Well, because I, of my little diatribe here about questioning. Because we have to be oh so careful that we're not deceiving ourselves. Because a lot of times when we're trying to be so pious and trying to find, quote, truth, what we're really doing is we're just simply trying to find a way out of keeping the commandments. That's really what we're trying to do. And we're, 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 instead of having the faith of a child where we just say, okay, you said this and we're, I'm going to do it, 
Instead, we try to dive into this. Well, do I really want to do this? Or I really, do I really need to do that? And this really happens when it comes down to Noah and uh, his commandments. So it says here um, in the Torah, um, in verse, and see, in chapter 9 and verse 3, he says, Kol rames asher hu chai lechem Adonai leakla kerech esiv natati lechem. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Now the qualifier to this is, as the green herbage, I give you everything. I give unto you everything. Et kol. Okay. Esev natati lechem et kol. I give it un, uh, uh, everything unto you. Now, <clears throat> people have looked at this and said, you know, Hashem, if we're supposed to not eat shellfish and pork and so on, but look, God originally gave to mankind, he could eat everything, right? Now, if we think about this logically, God makes it clear in his word, in two whole chapters of Torah, by the way, that we're not supposed to eat certain things. Two whole chapters. Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. Now, people are trying to go and use one verse to negate two whole chapters of clear biblical will of God. Why? It's kind of foolish, isn't it? I mean, you know, your father says, listen, I don't want you to eat pork, period. And you go back, well, when I was a little bit younger, you said it would. It, I could eat anything I wanted to. And we're trying to use the father's words against him, right? I mean, come on. Now, we also know the principle that Torah cannot contradict itself, right? So God, and God can't change. So God cannot come back one time and say, <clears throat> you can eat anything you want, and later come back and say, well, actually, I'd rather you not eat certain things. So there must be a qualifier here in Noah's words, and there is. Now, as another aside, this is where Hashem gives mankind the permission to eat meat. Prior to that, we were vegetarians. Does God require us to be vegetarians? No. Because why? God gave us meat to eat. God gave us meat to eat. Now, can you be a vegetarian? Sure. If you want to. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with it. Now, having said that, as I pointed out, and it's just worth noting, if the temple existed and may be rebuilt soon in our day, you could live your life as a vegetarian, if you wanted to, with the exception of certain times of the year, like it's kind of, with the with the temple being extant, it's really rather impossible to be a complete vegetarian, because for instance, uh, if and when or when I should say the the temple is built, we will celebrate Passover uh, as it should be celebrated. In which case, we will actually have the Pesach lamb, which we cannot have without a temple. Uh, and when we have the Pesach lamb, we will be required to eat at least an egg-sized portion of that lamb. So, uh, and then if you, when you offer sin offerings, 
you are required to eat a part of the sin offering, which is why Yeshua said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is why, because he is the sin offering, ultimately, spiritually, anyway. So you have to, so in other words, you cannot be a complete vegetarian, right? But, and, but that aside, if you wanted to be a vegetarian today, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine, okay? As long as you don't make a religion out of it. Is this, is, are, the, are these microphones on? Can you hear me? Can, I, <laughs> can, can you hear me? As long as you don't make a religion out of it. And as long as you don't suggest that somehow being vegetarian is a some kind of higher spiritual plane. Can y'all hear me? Are y'all okay? <laughs> and as long as you don't suggest that somehow by being a vegetarian, you're, you are somehow f keeping a more pure form of God's holy will. Now again, if you want to be a vegetarian or a vegan, fine. That's fine. You know, thank God for vegans, by the way. Because they make some stuff out there that, because it's vegan, we can eat it. Because it, it doesn't have anything non-kosher in it. Great. Okay? Uh, I'm not a vegan. I'm not a vegetarian. Okay? <clears throat> um, that's fine. But I'm just, I'm just, because you know what I'm talking about here. Because a lot of times, people that are vegetarians and or vegans, uh, and they are for various reasons, they tend to make it religious. Now, very often it has nothing to do with Judaism or biblical religion. It, 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 it actually is a religion unto itself. And in most cases, people who are vegans slash vegetarians are really, at the, at, at the root of it all, no pun intended, worshiping the earth. That is ultimately what they're doing. It's part of a kind of a... I don't know what you call it, like a like a weird Wiccan kind of earth worship. Uh, sometimes animal worship. Um, it is it's true. It's true. You know, it, it, you're because you're, you're. We don't want to kill the animals. And listen, I I'm a total animal lover. We have a shul cat now, outside my door over there, and it's his his name is Tigris, which means tiger in Hebrew, but uh, he's also the shul cat Aruk. And I find myself now feeding the shul kataruk to Greece. And I love squirrels and, and uh, you know, rabbits and stuff like that. I love animals. I'm an animal guy. I also eat meat. Uh, but, the point, <laughs> so, but let's look at this. It says here, um, I like little dogs too. I have little teacup-sized chihuahuas. And uh, I, em I embrace I embrace my manhood, right? But the point is, is don't don't make a religion out of it. Can we can I, can I can I get an amen? Can you say amen? For vegetarian, I don't care. I love it. I think it's awesome. Just don't make a religion out of it. Don't suggest that by being vegetarian, you're somehow on a higher spiritual plane. You're not. And and and, and you could say again again to, just to reiterate this point because people miss it. Well, God really wants us. He, his original plan was to, us to be vegetarian. Well, maybe, maybe before the fall. But now God commands us to eat meat at least at certain times. You see what I'm saying? Again, it, it just is what it is. I'm just pointing out facts. Now, <clears throat> as it says here in the notes, he emphasizes, okay, 
that the Torah demands no vegetarianism, nor does it have any aversion to eating meat. It even makes it a duty on festivals. That's what I just pointed out, right? Not only does the Torah not require us to be vegetarians, nor does the Torah have an aversion for us to eating meat, but rather we're required to eat meat. And I want to say this again because people get militant about the vegetarian vegan thing. And I, I, I always it's always a danger zone for me to get into this discussion. But the reason I do is because of what I've just said. Because people, it, it's become like this religion thing. And, and we again, our program here is, is very much about setting people free. And, and it's a very, sometimes these things are fine lines. And I, I see a lot of people who are strong believers and they become Torah followers. And then they get into this kind of weird diet. Like they want to eat only raw foods and they get into non-GMO. Which, by the way, again, I'm totally against. G, I mean, I, if it's something's GMO or whatever, I try not to buy it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't like that kind of stuff, right? But But again you got to be careful about making a religion out of it. Like people like they all just want to pull a carrot out of the ground and eat it. And that's how they want to live. Now, if that's how we want to live. That's fine. But that's not, don't think that because somebody else is, is, has a bag of Lay's potato chips, which is certified kosher. And you're eating a, a carrot you plucked out of the ground. Don't think that you're spiritually higher. If you understand what I'm talking about, please tell me in the chat. I, I, I don't want to be lost here. I want people to understand what I'm talking about, okay? You see somebody eating a a a, a uh, honey bun, which is certified kosher. I don't think you should eat a honey bun personally, you know, because I think it's bad for you. But if they're eating a honey bun and, and I'm chewing on a on a, a stalk of celery, I, I I'm not holier than they are. If you understand what I'm talking about, please please say you understand, okay? <clears throat> All right, so here it is. As the green herbage I give you, literally it says here, gave you everything. Now, Rabbi, this is where I wanted to get to with all of this discussion, okay? Because most people think, erroneously, that God just told Noah, eat whatever you want. If it moves, kill it and eat it. It's not what he said. What he said was, I give you the flesh of all things as the green herbage I gave you. And Rebenu Baka and Hitzkuni comment that the comparison to green herbage is of noteworthiness. Least one think that everything was permitted. God qualified his permission by comparing it to the herbage. What does this mean? It means just as some herbs are beneficial to man while others are not fit for food and, and some even poisonous, so among the animals and birds there are those that are permitted by Torah law and those that are permitted. So even with Noah, Hashem gives him a qualifier and that's what I wanted to point out. I wanted to point out this, this um, uh, situation. Uh, also, another comment that I came across, I thought it was point, uh, interesting because we talk about at Pesach time, we talk about leaven. What does leaven represent? We mentioned this quite a bit. Leaven, some people think represents, represents excuse me, uh, sin, but um, 
It doesn't actually. It represents something more important. It represents the uh, the root of sin, which is pride. Well, another angle on that, which is really kind of the same thing, is that it says here, Abba Yose said, how poor must be the leaven? Now, it says here, the leaven is a common simile for the evil inclination. So, and what is the evil inclination ultimately? The evil inclination is... um, uh, is pride ultimately right? This is the evil inclination. Um, this was that's what the pride is. Now the sages bring down that the evil inclination is uh, synonymous with the Satan and the angel of death. They're one and the same. Um, now, I, I I really would like to do. Uh, and somebody asked us about this. Somebody asked the Rebid scene about the, um, you know, the Nephilim and fallen angels, uh, and what the Jewish view of that is, and so on and so forth. And of course, Yeshua said, "I saw the Satan fall like lightning." Um, I there's actually I, I would actually like to do, and maybe I will be able to do here in the, in the coming days. Um, a teaching on the Nephilim, because it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, the Nephilim are the giants, of course. And yes, just as a, um, a spoiler alert here, um, according to the Jewish sources and Jewish views, um, the Nephilim are, in fact, giants, and they are, in fact, the offspring of fallen angels and human women. Um, or they were, anyway. Um but it's interesting because uh, there's a little bit of a uh, question about you know that as far as how the angels fell. And again, I'd like to get into that. But the insides bring down that they were the angels were overcome ultimately by the Yetzirah. And uh, of course, there's a big question as to how could that be, but that's beside the point. But the Yetzirah, my point is here, is if you understand what the Yetzirah is, the Yetzirah is the evil inclination, yes, but it's also the Satan, according to all Jewish sources. The Yetzirah is the Satan. So, that's leaven. Leaven is that voice of the Yetzirah. Now, the Yetzirah is always going to be speaking to us, right? Always going to be tempting us. Um... This is why, on the one hand, we have to guard our thoughts, and we have to be careful about our thoughts. And Messiah talked about this, you know, if you hate your brother in your heart, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you know. So on the one hand, our thoughts, you know, betray us, to quote Darth, Darth Vader. Um, but on the other hand, we don't get punished unless we actually do something. You know, you can think about robbing the bank, but you cannot, at least now in our day and age, maybe it'll change once, once socialism, communism takes over, we'll have thought policing, but you can think about uh, robbing the bank, but um, you're not, you cannot be criminally charged for that. Okay. You can't be prosecuted because you were thinking about robbing the bank. You have to actually rob the bank, right? 
Now, the reason I bring this about is because a lot of people, I think all of us, we get discouraged because we have these bad thoughts. And we have to, sometimes we find ourselves having to rebuke our bad thoughts or, you know, tell ourselves to stop thinking that. That's the Yetzirah, ladies and gentlemen. And if you are struggling against those negative thoughts, ladies, that's the victory. Right? Because the Yetzirah is going to be constantly, every day, attacking us. And if you are fighting against it, ladies, that's the victory. That's, that's, this is the encouragement I wanted to give you. Because a lot of people say, man, I just don't why I have to struggle against these thoughts all the time. I, I have these bad thoughts and I need to struggle against them. Well, eventually your struggle will end because eventually the, the, the Yetzirah will give up on that particular issue. Eventually, okay? But what I'm trying to encourage you with is if, if you're struggling against it, then that's the victory. A lot of people think that you're, will try to make you think that you're, a, you're wicked for even having the thought. Pretending that they don't have bad thoughts. That's how the pious and the fake religious always are. They always, the fake religious and the pious, and trust me, they're among us, pretend that they walk on water and they never have any problems, and all they do is study Torah and pray all day long. They're liars, okay? And they're fakers. And they're, they say stupid things like that only because they have such low self-esteem. They're trying to lie and fake themselves out. So don't, don't listen to them. Everybody struggles with thoughts. Everybody struggles with something. I may, my struggle may not be your struggle, right? You may struggle with something particular, and, and, and I don't struggle with that, and vice versa. But we all struggle. Don't listen to some religious idiot who tells you that they don't have any struggles and they've learned how to overcome it. <laughs> they're liars, okay? Don't follow them. And if somebody tells you that, they're no teacher. Someone should tell you, honestly, I struggle. You know why I say that? Because just this morning... The Rebbe Zin and I studying the words of our rabbi says that the greater the wisdom, quoting Solomon, the greater the wisdom, the greater vexation. And that it's a common knowledge that the higher you go in religious knowledge, the stronger the Yetzirah is. It's like you don't become a Mike Tyson boxer and you're fighting a, a, fe, a, a, a featherweight. No, the, you get to box against the uh, Yetzirah, it's going to be the same size as you. So the laughable, idiotic idea that the more religious you become, the more uh, free you become of all these uh, base things is not Jewish. If you see somebody who's a great Zodiac, just understand they have great struggles. Now I say this because I want to encourage you. Because... These people that are that lie to you and say, "Well, I don't, I don't have those struggles," and if that ever happened to me, I, I would never fall. Don't ever say that. But they're trying to do that, and it, and it ends up discouraging people. Okay, just understand that the more knowledge you have, the greater your temptation. Now, don't let that scare you either, because you have the power to fight the heavyweight boxer. You understand. All right, so let's look at the rainbow right quick, shall we? The rainbow, the sign of the covenant. And I will ratify my covenant with you. This follows Rashi, who says, I will confirm my covenant through the manifestation of my bow as described in the following verses. So Hirsch comments that... Uh, 
or well, first of all, Isaiah refers to this when he quotes God as saying in 54.9, As I have sworn that the waters of Noah should go no more over the earth. Hirsch comments that the rainbow is one of the many signs, and some of those signs include, include the Sabbath, circumcision, tefillin, all of which are designed to keep alive and, and fresh the great teachings which God gave men. So the Sabbath is a sign. Why has throughout human history the Satan, through various religious cults, fought against the Sabbath so much? Because it's a sign of God. Why has the Satan encouraged people not to get circumcised? Because it's a sign from heaven. Why has the Satan tried to convince people, don't wrap the feeling, you don't need to wrap the feeling, it's just a spiritual thing, uh, it, it's not literal, the, the Jews make these little boxes and they put on their arms and their head, of course it does say the revelation, my son will be on your hand and arm, but ah, forget about that, why wear the feeling? Why does he fight against it? Why? Because it's a sign. Why does the Satan take the symbol of the rainbow and use it for a perverse, disgusting symbol for another group? Because it's a sign from heaven. It says here, keep alive and fresh the great teachings of God and man. The rainbow is the eternal sign that no matter how bleak the future looks, God is not, is not oblivious, but he will lead mankind to its ultimate goal. And it goes on to say in the scripture, and between every living being that is with you, not that the animals will see the sign and be reassured, they don't have the intelligence to experience such emotion. All the animals except for our little dog, Abigail, she loves rainbows and, and unicorns. But she's an exceptional chihuahua. Rather, it's a sign that I will fulfill my covenant among myself, you, and the animal world. So even though the animals can't see it except Abigail, that uh, still it exists as a sign for all the creatures. To the generations forever, the sign will be perpetual for all generations. It's never going to go away. Rashi notes that Dorot is spelled defectively without the two valves, indicating that the sign, which provides necessary reassurance for moral defect, un even to undeserving generations, is not required in perfectly righteous generations. So it says, for example, rainbows were not seen during the periods of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and during Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So if we don't see a rainbow, it's because... Things are going well. The, sign, the rainbow is also a sign of teshuva. I love this inside. It says here, And it shall be a sign of the covenant. The rainbow was chosen as a sign because it is symbolic of the glory of God as described in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 28. God thus implied, When it shall rain abundantly, I will present you with a symbol of my glory. Again, this is why the Satan wants to take this symbol and use it for perverse means. Why? Because the rainbow is a symbol of God's glory. What is the Satan always trying to do? He's trying to steal God's glory. Now, among certain groups, and I won't mention who they are, um, they're always trying to say, and it's so offensive and so blasphemous and so, frankly, anti-Semitic. They're constantly trying to say that whatever we Jews do, we get from pagans. Candle lighting, all this other stuff, we get from pagans, right? Hala came from pagans. It's so ridiculous. But what is it, what's the, what's the, 
underlying subliminal message there. The underlying subliminal message is that the Satan is the creator and comes up with all these great ideas, and we Jews steal it from him. Why is that the so why does the Satan inspire these Gentiles who come up with these neo pseudo or pseudo I should say Torah groups? Why does he inspire them to have this anti-Semitic feeling? Because ultimately he's encouraging them to give him all the credit. <laughs> so it, it's really it's really genius. It's genius on, part, on the part of the Satan. So now the Satan has all these people who are pseudo-Torah followers thinking they're following Hashem when in fact they're following him. Because he's, they're saying that God's people get everything from the Satan, which implies that the Satan is the, 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 the being of first thought. When in fact, he isn't. When in fact, he gets everything from us to include the rainbow symbol. You see what I mean? So if we follow the logic or the illogic, of the pseudo-Torah people, we would have to say that we got the rainbow from them. Because we get everything else from them, why not the rainbow? Right? So just because there's a bunch of pagans who light candles and all their sadistic, occultic practices, somehow if we light candles, we got it from them. Instead of thinking, maybe they got it from us. Maybe they saw the power of candle lighting in a spiritual sense, and they started employing it in their situation. Aha! That would make Satan the non-creator. You see what I mean? This is why it's so sadistic and so subtle and why it's so evil. Don't underestimate the Satan. He's a bum and a loser, but he's smart. So smart that he has tens of thousands of people who think they're following God actually following him. And he's laughing all the way to the proverbial bank. So it says, I will present you with a symbol of my glory so you shall receive the Shekinah. That's, remember the Shekinah is the Holy Spirit. And repent. So if we make tshuva, we receive the Ruach HaKodesh. Again, there's nothing new in the New Testament. It's exactly what the Mashiach talked about. <clears throat> He says, for were it my intention to destroy you, I would not have manifested to you my glory because the king does not design, or deign rather, to appear to his disgraced enemies. So because God gave us these signs, it was his indication that we're not supposed to, or, or, or excuse me, we're not to think that he's, his purpose is to destroy us, but rather he wants to save us. Ramban explains that any visible object, a heap of stones, a pillar, seven ewe lambs, which serve to remind people of an agreement is called a sign. And every agreement is called a covenant. Furthermore, that the bow is, in, is inverted is symbolic that they are not shooting at the earth from the heavens. For it is custom of war to invert the weapons that one holds in their hands when calling for peace for their opponents. Isn't that true? We even today, if we want to show somebody that we're, we have peace, we turn our rifles upside down. Back in the olden days, they would turn their swords upside down, um, turn their axes upside down. That was a symbol that, hey, we're not coming at you with these weapons. We're, we want peace. Well, God takes his bow and inverts it. Instead of a bow, like being pointed at the earth, the bow is pointed at heaven to indicate that God is turning his weapons upside down, saying, I want peace and not war.
According to Breshis Sutta, the rainbow was chosen as a sign of the covenant because it is composed of fire and water in harmonious fusion. This is symbolic that God, who thus makes peace between opponents above, or opposites above, will similarly make peace on earth. The rainbow symbolizes the bond between earth and heaven because it appears as an arc connecting the earth with the heaven. In the midst of an overcast, foreboding sky, it comes as light. It is thus a reminder that even God appears to, the, to be wrathful. Even in such cases, his grace and mercy are still prevalent. And one last insight here about the rainbow. Um, it says... Kidushti davar shehul mekashli et kishti my bow. This is my likeness, something that resembles me. So, in other words, the rainbow is, in fact, to a certain extent, a manifestation of Hashem Himself, which is once again why the Satan would want to use it for his evil ways. Also, the sages in the Talmud Hagiga 16a say concerning one who gazes at the rainbow, which again is derived from Ezekiel 128, being a symbol of God's glory. Whoever takes not thought of the honor of his maker would have been better off had he not come into the world. So when we look at the rainbow, we are obliged to think about Hashem. So just remember that, or let's try to remember that. When we see a rainbow, instead of saying, oh, wow, what, what a beautiful sign, because it is beautiful, instead of looking for the leprechaun of the pot of gold, which some of you do, don't lie, we should actually think about God. Think about Hashem. So it says here, the halakha is formulated in the Shulchan Aruch. One who sees a rainbow recites the following blessing. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam zoker ha-berit ne'aman berito vekayem be'amuro. Blessed are you, Adonai, God, King of the universe, who remembers his covenant in faithfulness, his covenant and upholds his word. And one may not stare at it un- unduly long. Why? Why can't you look at a rainbow? You've got to be careful not to look at it too long. Why? Because it's an image of God. Advudraham comments on this phrase of the blessing. He remembers and is faithful in his covenant even when people are exceedingly wicked. And he upholds his word even if he is not bound by his covenant. This is why the rainbow is so important and this is what it represents. End of our Aliyah today. For being with me, I hope that you've been encouraged and learned some things and been inspired to grow and most importantly, to be set free. So God bless you. Have a wonderful Rosh Chodesh. With God's help, we'll be back tomorrow for the 6th and 7th, looking at the 6th and 7th Aliyah of the Parashah. Until then, have a blessed, wonderful, and awesome day. We'll look forward to seeing everybody with God's help tomorrow. Shalom Aleichem.